0: Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Peter Spiegel. Okay, Lori, I've got some great animal stories from around the world, and this was really interesting. And I think you talked about octopuses and how they change color recently. That was interesting. I found a more in-depth resource here that's newly published. And, uh, you know, octopuses, they are able to change their color so quickly, the quickest in any of the animals in the animal kingdom that utilize this. And uh, the first person to record the fact that octopuses use this ability was who? Was Aristotle, 2,400 years ago. Mm. Yeah. So, what makes an octopus change its color, or really how? Do they do it? The why, that's well, we think we know why, but the how is getting worked out a, a little better. So as you mentioned, they have these things which are little organs called chromatophores. So these are tiny color changing organs and they're throughout the skin of the octopus. And these chromatophores, they are actually tiny little sacs filled with these nanoparticles of the pigment. Mm. The pigment's called xanthomatin. I think I'm saying that right, with an X and two M's, xanthomatin. Anyway, these sacs are surrounded by an elastic matrix, and that is connected to muscle cell that surrounds the sac that can uh, contract and stretch and allow the configuration of the sac to change, and that will allow more or less light to reflect off the little particles, and uh, each one is responsible for a different wavelengths. There are three different uh, kinds, yellow and red and brown, and they are arranged in layers on the skin, so that allows the colors to change uh, so broadly and, and rapidly. These muscle cells it's interesting are connected by a direct neural connection that is a nerve goes to each one of these sacs so you get a direct connection and uh, that allows the fine uh, control over this it seems and the other thing that's interesting is that you know the brain of the octopus it's just not in its head the brain is sort of all over its its body like brain nodes or something, I think that's what they call them. And that allows direct and closer uh, communication with these organs. That's so interesting. I didn't know that about the brain. Yeah. So, So there's more. There are also these things called iridophores and leucophores that also contribute to some of the visual features. The iridophores, they're a little larger than the chromatophores. And they are responsible for the sort of metallic or luminescent features because they've got this protein called a reflectin. So they create this sort of mirror effect. And then the lucophores, they are responsible for changing the contrast or the brightness of the array. And so all that together allows the uh, octopuses to give you a wide variety of the visual things. They also have this ability to change the texture of their skin, if you notice, it can look smooth and then sort of bumpy. They've got these uh, little things called papilla that they're able to control.
1: So this is all an to just camouflage themselves within their environment,
0: right? Well, most of it is camouflage, that's right. But if you uh, spend a little time with octopuses, you'll see that sometimes they use it to uh, dazzle their prey. Mm. And so they can use it sort of as an offensive weapon also.
1: Yeah, I've seen these YouTubes. They're really cool where an octopus is just cruising along the seafloor. And all of a sudden, you know, as it's going into different colors of rocks and different colors of coral and different textures of the environment, it is changing. Yeah. His surface is
0: changing from like a red to blue to, like you said, in a split second. Yeah, really fast. And... uh juvenile octopuses, they actually don't have the ability of the ones that are like two years older, so they get better at this as, as they age. Mm. But one of the mysteries that remains is that how does the octopus know what color or what pattern to adopt? Because evidently they don't see so well. They don't have a really good conventional visual system like we think about vision. And, and so uh, where does that input come from that still needs to be uh, determined? So... Fascinating about octopuses. Fascinating. Two researchers out of a university in Canada, actually one is the student and one's the professor from the Department of Integrative Biology. They are bringing attention to the fact that lab rats or mice are not a great model for a lot of uh, medical and uh, biologic conditions in people. And the reason uh, they are calling out is because the animals are so so stressed and so abnormal that it's causing a lot of waste in, in research and an unnecessary killing, obviously. They published an acronym to describe the problems with these mice, which they call CRAMPED, cold, rotund, abnormal, male-biased, enclosed, and distress. distressed. And that might explain why some of the biomedical research has such low applicability to what's happening in humans and medicine. That's so true. It's true. And we've
1: been saying that for so long. And scientists have so nice, been saying that for so long.
0: It's nice to see it formalized like this and restated, right?
1: It's nice to see it formalized and restated, but I, is it going to change anything on how we proceed in terms of experimentation on animals? Well, I don't
0: we, think so. We have an acronym. It's cramped. Okay. Okay. Do you remember the complete disaster at the last Olympics, the modern pentathlon related to the horse that was abused? Oh, in, yeah. The
1: in, owner hit the horse or, or something? Or the coach,
0: or somebody. Sc- the trainer coach. or somebody. Yeah, but, yeah. What okay. happened there? Okay. So everyone saw that and was just appalled right. by that, Right. And right. then the rider, she was crying. She was cheated. Poor right. baby, right? Right, poor baby. Right, right. Okay. Well. The IOC, it turns out, has been working very hard, the International Olympic Committee, to replace this whole riding section of the modern pentathlon with a different event. Ah. And uh, the uh, riders are not all that happy, or the participants are not so happy about it, but it looks like it's going to happen. And they are actually reviewing more than 60 proposals of events to replace the horse riding. And actually, the... International governing body, not the Olympic, not the International Olympic Committee, but the governing body of the sport of the modern pentathlon, which is wants to keep it in the Olympics. They are called UIPM. They recognize how the sport is being threatened. It's going to be booted from the Olympics unless they get rid of the abusive horse event. So they are reviewing over 60 proposals to replace the riding. With and like another horse event? No. Though. Oh, no. not using horses right. at all. Right. Oh, I love it. Right. I love it. Love it's it. It's going to, and they are looking at things like some kind of obstacle discipline that would be a form of racing, right? But not involving uh, the horses. So great. We will see. So that was an an incredible thing that 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 the IOC realizes that this is antiquated and archaic. Right? Yes. Yeah, sometimes and it abusive. takes these. Right,
1: I mean, abusive. exact Sometimes it takes these events yeah. to made public to be made public before people start to complain. Then they realize, right? Yep. yep. So wait, going back, was that woman or
0: coach or trainer, whoever, slugged their horse? Yeah. Was she disqualified? Again? I think it was a man, and I think uh, he was sanctioned. Maybe he was kicked out. I I remember reporting on this. Okay. So there was something. Okay. okay. Something severe, yeah. right? But uh, to me, the most second, well, besides the slug, was the crying participant. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's such so clueless. Okay. Zoo anteater rabies case. Oh. Okay, some of our favorite things. <laughs> All coming together uh, because, <laughs> because in Tennessee, they discovered that one of their uh, newly received anteaters yep. that they got from a zoo in Virginia had rabies yep. and it got sicker and sicker. Did not respond to antibiotics. Then they figured out it was rabies. Then ultimately had to be euthanized. Okay,
1: tragic, so poor... not surprising.
0: Okay, so what's what is weird, at least from a scientific thing, was that anteaters really don't get rabies that often. They have a low resting body temperature that seems to protect them from rabies, but and they don't really have this kind of rabies in Tennessee. But they think, going back, that the zoo that this anteater came from, they actually had wild raccoons infiltrating into the zoo, and they probably carried rabies like they do, and infected uh, one or more of their anteaters. And then this one was shipped to be viewed and uh, was sick already and brought it over. So
1: They're so corrupt. <laughs> so, so they knew, they knew that.
0: They might. Well, they knew that there were raccoons running around and that was a risk factor.
1: But they shipped the anteater when
0: he well, was sick. No, the anteater got sick later. Oh, or at least well, visibly sick. Uh, but I the anteater know. probably had rabies, almost for sure. Okay. Well zoos are still corrupt. <laughs> well, yes.
1: I wonder if the anteater at the new zoo yeah. did it spread the rabies to
0: any other mammals? Yeah, there? I don't know I don't know that. I'm sure they're on the lookout. But um a kicker of this is that there are a bunch of employees that had to have the rabies uh, preventive protocol right? because they had contact and might have been exposed to the saliva. So they had to go through that. I think there were 20 of them that needed to do that. Wow. They did not think that they were at risk for rabies, so they were not previously vaccinated like you can do. So they had to have the whole protocol as if they were exposed. Right. So that would uh, upset me if I was working there. Yep. Yeah. Um, Snake snake story, a guy in Maryland, he unfortunately was found deceased in his home. They hadn't heard from him. They uh, did a welfare check and found him dead. He had a meticulously kept personal uh, zoo or horror show of 124 snakes in his home. None of the neighbors knew about it, and they were actually uh, in fairly good shape. But it included snakes that no one's supposed to have, like cobras and rattlesnakes and black mambas and a 14-foot Burmese python. And after his necropsy, they determined that, indeed, uh, one of these snakes uh, envenomated him and killed him. So what do you expect? What do you expect, right?
1: You know, the um, neighborhood and city is lucky. Yeah. That The snakes, one of them didn't escape. Yep. Kill your dog. Or this guy,
0: the- oh, he was 49 years old. So in my you know analysis he's a little older than most of the guys who are still you know doing snake stuff for fun but still give so me a break he,
1: is he it, give me a break is right is he considered a hoarder or is he just a yeah. a,
0: a, a lunatic <laughs> i think there are other options too okay <laughs> but but yeah we will not we will not know maybe, maybe a family member or neighbor will say something but it's weird No word of what's gonna happen with uh, these uh, snakes, but uh, you don't wanna mess with black mamba. Okay, more animals today after this break. back the largest frog on earth is the goliath frog also known as the goliath bullfrog and the giant slippery frog they are found in cameroon and equatorial guinea and they can weigh up to 17 pounds or more and their bodies can be more than a foot in length the world's smallest frog discovered in Papua New Guinea, measures a mere seven millimeters long and maybe the world's smallest vertebrate. One reason I find frogs so delightful and fascinating is the huge variety they present. Now, another person who thinks a lot about frogs, a lot more than I do, I'm sure, is Matt Ellerbeck, frog advocate and conservationist. Visit him at saveallfrogs.com. Welcome, Matt.
2: Well, uh, thank you so much for having me.
0: Matt, I know you have a number of frog issues on your mind. So let's begin with frog populations. Are they really in decline?
2: Yes. So there's around 5,000 frog species worldwide. And of that over 30% are listed as at risk of extinction. So that's pretty significant. Um, And then several frog species have already gone extinct. So frog populations are very much under threat. And that is why, you know, we're seeing those statuses like those extreme endangered statuses um, being applied to them because they are experiencing such a dramatic decline.
0: And we talk about similar issues with other species all the time. Uh, Why are frogs in decline?
2: It's really an amalgamation of several reasons. Um, The first being the loss of... Habitat. So essentially, you know, if a frog loses its home, its odds of survival are not very good. So places like marshes and wetlands and meadows and woodlands, too many of these natural green spaces are being destroyed for developmental construction and agriculture. Now, where good habitat does remain, it's often degraded through pollution and contaminants and pesticides and oil and gasolines and frogs being amphibians are extremely sensitive to any kind of pollution or contaminant because they don't have scales on their skin like reptiles um, or fur like mammals. They don't really have any kind of armor or protection. They just have very delicate permeable skin. So that makes them especially sensitive to those sort of substances being in their environment. And then a lot of frogs are killed on roads every year because a lot of roads crisscross between their habitats and what happens especially in the United States and Canada is a lot of the frogs um, that are breeding in the springtime they have to cross over roads to get to breeding pools and then unfortunately you have a lot of them being killed en masse And, and what's especially sad about that is that's the mature breeding portion of the population being killed. So not only are we losing those frogs, but because they're unable to breed because they're being killed, we're losing the next generation of frogs as well. And then another thing that happens is harvesting. So frogs are being captured from the wild to be sent off for the fishing bait trade and for food markets. And, you know, when we add all of these things up and then there's climate change and disease, it accounts for a massive Massive number of frogs being lost every year due to these human induced threats so that's why our frogs are not doing very well and why so many are at risk of extinction
0: okay so populations are in decline Matt what cruelty issues do individual frogs face
2: Well, the first thing I want to mention in terms of that is that frogs are vertebrate animals, just like dogs and cats. And just like dogs and cats, they experience pain and suffering and cruelty. Unfortunately, there's that old misconception, you know, that old usage of word, wording cold-blooded and often people think of frogs being cold-blooded therefore they don't feel pain that's not true first off they're not cold-blooded they're ectothermic which just means their body temperature is reliant on the environment around them they have to warm up or cool off um, via behavioral changes and and utilizing different areas in their environment that's all that means Um, so frogs are very capable of feeling pain and suffering and unfortunately they experience that with a lot of those trades I just talked about. So food markets, a lot of these frogs are sold live. Um, in some food markets, they skin the frogs alive and sell them that way. Like, you, like We're talking about really horrific things that happen to these poor animals. And then the bait trade, you know, frogs are sold live for fishing bait and then are, are stabbed with hooks and then tossed into the water. Now, Now, say I was going on a radio program and I was talking about, you know, someone was using kittens or puppies and they were stabbing them with hooks. Like, there would be massive outrage. People would be appalled by such things. But I think because frogs being amphibians and and there are those misconceptions about them, slimy and cold and cold-blooded, you know, people are often not as sympathetic towards them. So it's important to really make those connections that, you know, the frog is a living breathing vertebrate creature just like dogs and cats and other mammals that we're more familiar with and just like those animals they are experiencing a lot of cruelty from these trades that are exploiting them so not only do these trades are affecting their numbers in the wild and are a serious conservation concern but it is also a very very concerning matter in terms of animal cruelty like you know like I said we're literally you know there's trades set up where anglers are, you know, using frogs en masse and then stabbing them with hooks while they're still alive. So, And not only is that cruel to the frog, and not only do those bait trades deplete wild populations, but it also spreads disease, too. Like, frog populations are crashing because of um, two diseases in particular, ranavirus and chytrid fungus, and say they catch a batch of frogs and then ship them 100 miles away and you, to an area where the Environment is healthy and disease-free, and then you have a diseased animal, and then it's cast into that wetland. Then it's just spread those diseases around to previously unaffected areas. So you can get a pretty good idea how, through those, um, the shipping and unnatural movement of animals via these trades, how those diseases can be spread very, very quickly and and to all these other places. So the bait trade and the, the trade of animals for dissections and food markets, these are all really triple-pronged threats. There are conservation concerns, there are cruelty concerns, and there are concern in terms of spreading the amphibian diseases to other areas. So those three in particular are very, very damaging.
0: We are speaking with Matt Ellerbeck, frog advocate and conservationist. The website is saveallfrogs.com. And Matt, we are going to continue this discussion because we're just scratching the surface here in an upcoming segment. And we'll look forward to speaking to you real soon.
2: Sounds great.
0: Stick around more with animals today after the break.
3: There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is, animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier, too, without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home. Cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors. The key is to provide attention, exercise, and a stimulating environment. Play with your cat. It's fun for both of you. You can hide toys around the house, too. Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org.
1: Back to Animals today, Peter. Yes, please. I have another lightning round quiz. You know, we need another name for lightning round quiz. Yes, I've used that term a lot so okay, hurricane, pop- hur- hurricane's good, <laughs> but it's also a, a mishmash or a hodgepodge or a yeah. jambal- jambalaya, <laughs> jambalaya, potpourri,
0: yeah, alphabet soup. Okay, what names do you like? Uh- uh mix, mix something or mix bag. Brick a brack. How's that? Brick a brac?
1: <laughs> okay. Here's your lightning round brick-a-brac. What is the first thing a caterpillar eats after it's born? Another caterpillar? It's shell or grass?
0: Oh a shell. I'll go with shell whatever. Shell is means. correct. All
1: right. Which of the following is a nocturnal animal? Chipmunks, gorillas, skunks?
0: I'm going to say skunks. Skunks is correct. What bird
1: that can't fly is the national symbol of New Zealand?
0: Oh, that, oh, I know this. This, that is the little uh, kiwi. Kiwi, very good. A
1: group of fish is called what? A school. Yep. Which cartoon animal
0: stuttered when he speaks? Oh, uh, not Daffy Duck, no. Okay, let me know. That that, that That's all, folks. <laughs> okay, yeah. Who's that? Was that Porky Pig? Porky Pig, am I allowed to say
1: stutter? Should I say no, 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 speech no. language disabilities? <laughs> Stop. Is it correct to say Porky Pig is a he? Is Porky Pig Porky a he? Pig. Yeah, he's a he. Yeah. Okay. Walruses eat all of the following, except seals, plants, clams, worms. I'm going to say worms. Plants. Walruses are carnivores. They, they don't really like plants. How many clams can an adult walrus eat in one feeding session? A hundred, a 1, thousand, or six thousand?
0: I'll say a thousand.
1: Six thousand. Oh, wow, that's a lot of... How many compartments do cows have in their stomachs?
0: Okay. they. I'm going to say four. Four is correct. Yeah.
1: What was the name... Of the pit bull dog in The Little Rascals. Petey. Petey. What cartoon animal talked with a lisp? A
0: n- oh, what? That's The other fe- was a
1: stutter. <laughs> Porcupine was a stutter. This is a lisp.
0: Just tell me. Take, tell me.
1: <laughs> I taught a okay. putty tat.
0: Whatever that I is. I
1: did. I did taught putty. Uh, uh, Who's that?
0: I don't know. It's remind me.
1: Tweety Bird. Oh, yeah. Do you know Where? what kind of bird? Tweety Bird? Tweety Was, was a parakeet? Yellow canary.
0: Canary, oh, yeah.
1: Boy, did you not watch Tweety Bird when you were a kid? Okay. In India, what farm animal is considered a sacred symbol of life that should be protected and revered? The cow. The cow is correct. What are baby goats called? Kids. Yep. What do you call animals that spend most of their lifetime on
0: trees? Oh, jeez. That is some. That's a real question. I should know. They are arboreal. Yes. Is that the, am I yes. saying that right? Yes.
1: The word arboreal comes from the Latin word arbor, which means tree. Yeah. What kind of dog was Lassie?
0: Lassie was a. Oh, that's. Lassie was a yeah, it's easy question, failing big time. <laughs> go ahead.
1: It is an easy question. I know. Collie. Of course. Okay. What disease is not caused by a fungus? Aspergillosis, anthrax, coccidiomycosis, histoplasmosis.
0: And I'll go with anthrax.
1: That's correct. Yeah. Aspergillosis is.
0: Definitely a fungus.
1: Yeah, aspergillus is a common mold. Yep. Coccidiomycosis, that's valley fever caused by coccy... Yeah, in South and Central America. And then histoplasmosis, that's histoplasma found in areas where there's like a lot of bird droppings. Mm -hmm. What kind of dog was (laughs) Scooby-Doo?
0: Great Dane.
1: Great Dane. Name another famous anthropomorphic dog who was a Great Dane. This was... By the way, in a prior quiz question, I want to
0: see if you remember this. Uh, was it not uh, not um, Astro? Yes, rostro Right. Say it. <laughs> Astro. Rastro. Jetson's
1: dog. What is the largest lizard in the world?
0: Large. Oh, the uh, the largest lizard is the Komodo. Yes. Is that what they call it? Komodo dragon. Dragon G.
1: What animal is the closest living relative to the T Rex? Chicken? Yeah. Lizard? Alligator? I'll go with chicken. Chicken is correct. Yeah. What cartoon bear is smarter than the average bear?
0: <laughs> Yogi
1: bear. Yogi bear. Who is Yogi Bear's constant companion?
0: <sighs> boo boo.
1: Boo boo. Boo boo. And what kind of animal was Boo Boo? Oh, A dwarf bear.
0: A dwarf bear.
1: (laughs) Am I allowed to say dwarf? No,
0: don't say that.
1: What is the collective name for a group of owls? Lookers, a master, or
0: parliament? Jeez, I'll go with the parliament.
1: Parliament is correct. What kind of dog was Snoopy?
0: Snoopy the beagle.
1: That's right. Which cute little marine creature holds hands... With their friends to keep themselves from drifting apart while sleeping okay
0: oh marine gee i thought it was a little mammal at first but not like seahorse something like that sea no. otters sea otters yeah okay that's what i had in mind first but
1: how many arms does an octopus have
0: <laughs> eight i'll go with eight
1: eight is correct you thought it was a trick question yes, yes. okay what is the name of the famous cartoon woodpecker
0: Woody Woodpecker? Yes,
1: Woody. How many... Am I allowed to say Woody? <laughs> How many humps does a Bactrian camel have?
0: Mm. I'm going to say one. Two. <laughs> Those are my choices.
1: <laughs> a group of lions is called... A pride. A pride. Good. It's going to give you multiple choice. What are the names of the world-famous talking moose and flying squirrel?
0: Rocky and Bullwinkle? Yes.
1: Who was the moose?
0: Ah, boy. I'm going to say the Rocky was the little one, so the moose was... Right. Rocky was
1: the squirrel and Bullwinkle was the moose.
0: Okay.
1: What bird has the largest wingspan? The albatross. Yes. The wandering albatross. Gumby is an American (laughs) clay animation (laughs) franchise. Gumby's primary sidekick and best friend's Uh, name is what? Pokey. Pokey. What kind of animal was Pokey? (laughs) Not a dog? A talking orange pony. Oh yeah, a pony. I thought he was a dog too, actually. <laughs> no, I think he's a pony. It's a pony. Yeah,
0: clay he's pony. A pony.
1: Yeah, clay pony. True or false? Some snakes
0: are poisonous. Oh, poison. Is this a poison versus toxin yes. question? Yes. I'm gonna say uh, false. False is oh, correct. You're, some snakes you're a stinker. <laughs> some snakes are venomous.
1: Yeah but not poisonous. So the difference between poison and venom is really whether an injection is needed, right? Oh,
0: okay, envenomation, that's a word.
1: Right. right, so you inject venom, right? Okay. And you can touch an animal that might be poisonous. Oh, got it. But snakes are not poisonous, but some snakes can be venomous, right. What are the names of the three singing, animated anthropomorphic chipmunks?
0: Oh. Gee, chipmunks. They are these chipmunks. Do you remember them? Like Al Al something, Alvin? Yes. And that's all I've got for the chipmunks.
1: Alvin, Simon, and Theodore.
0: Oh, yeah. It's all coming back.
1: Yeah, it's all coming back. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to end this quiz with a hard question.
0: I'll be very
1: impressed if you get this right. All mammals give birth to live young except for two animals. Can you name
0: these two? Oh. I can give you hints. They're mammals. So are, is a platypus a mammal? That's my question. I'm going to say kangaroo, live, give birth to live young. No, that's not right. Give birth. To, restate the question, please. All mammals. Yeah. Give birth to live young,
1: except for two. To live. Can young. you name these animals?
0: Hmm. Live young versus dead young, or eggs. Oh, eggs. Do any mammals lay eggs? Okay. Let me know. You,
1: you know, your thought processes were good though. I liked it. And you actually mentioned one of them Okay, is the right answer, platypus.
0: Okay. Oh, platypus. Okay.
1: Okay. So the spiny anteater, the anteater oh. and the duck-billed platypus. Yeah. So anteater, I was going to give you the hint that this animal feeds almost exclusively on ants and termites. And then the platypus. Yeah platypus is really interesting. I'm going to tell you about the platypus. So you know it's a mammal, you know it lays eggs.
0: Now I do. I wasn't really sure, I guess, <laughs> just like 30 seconds ago.
1: These guys, which you've never seen a platypus, right, Peter? Nope. Oh. So they are semi-aquatic, they're endemic to, and found only in eastern Australia. These animals are often considered the world's oddest mammal. And they've always confused scientists by exhibiting an array of bizarre characteristics. For example platypus has a bill like a duck, a tail like a beaver, and they have fur like an otter. And unlike other mammals, they are toothless and have webbed feet. Pretty unique, huh? Truly. In fact, the animal is so extraordinary that scientists thought the first specimen was a hoax. Let me tell you a little story about the discovery of the platypus. Okay. So the first westerner to describe a platypus his name was george shaw he was a zoologist and the story goes that in 1799 someone sent him the pelt and bill of a platypus and he couldn't make sense of this and couldn't understand how this bill and pelt could have come from the same animal. In fact, Shaw believed the sender took the bill from a duck and the pelt from an otter or a mole and said, OK, here, figure out what kind of animal these came from just to mess with him. In fact, he cut, Shaw cut the pelt that he received with scissors in an attempt to try to find the stitches that attach the bill to the pelt, because he really thought this was a fake. So he and other scientists, including anatomists and taxonomists, really thought this duck, beaver, otter creature was a fake. And it ended up taking scientists like 100 years, in the Western world at least, to realize that platypuses are indeed real animals. Interesting. There you go. There you go. Okay, you did pretty good on the quiz.
0: Did we get a grade for this one? Um. No, no grade. Pass. You, you pass. pass. This you is pass. a pass-fail course.
1: And we learned something about platypuses. Yes. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner from Animals Today. As temperatures climb, please remember never to leave your dog in the car, even for just a minute. Because even with the windows cracked and your car parked in the shade, the temperature inside can climb up in a matter of minutes, high enough to kill your pet. If you love your dog, leave them at home where it's cool and comfortable. And if you see a dog or other pet in a car, you may only have a minute to save their life. Here are a couple steps you can take. Make an announcement in the store or business that car is parked nearest to. Also, call the police department or animal control right away. Remember, it only takes a minute or two for a dog to get seriously ill or die in a car on a warm day. So swift action can save a life. Dogs are unable to cool themselves the way people can. So never leave a dog or any animal inside a car on a warm day, not even for a minute. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Check them out at AIANimals.org. That's AIANimals.org. back to the show you know we used to have a bug guy come by the house each month to spray the perimeter of the house because we're getting a lot of ants inside and we always wondered whether this was safe for the dogs and when we could let them go out again and what if they stepped in the sprayed area would they then lick their paws and get sick you know i'm still not really sure what risks pesticides and weed killers pose to dogs and cats But I know who does. Robert Reed, medical director, VCA Animal Hospital in Rancho Mirage. Hey, Robert. Hi, Lori. Dr. Reed, I have so many questions about this. Let's start with insecticides, especially the ones professionally sprayed. What are they and what precautions do I need to take with my companion animals around the house?
4: Well, first off, I could give you some suggestions of things to do to protect your household and your pets in your household, Um, but I think it's important any time you ask someone to apply a pesticide around your home to know what they're going to use. There are so many different agents out there that are used for pesticides, as pesticides, um, and they have different levels of risk. And the exposure risk is different, and the way the cats or dogs might respond to them is different. So I think it's realistic to to expect that you know what agents are being used and and what level of safety they have. And those questions about how long can your cat or dog be exposed to them, how long are they going to be in the environment, where are they going to go in the environment, um, is the residue that's left behind going to be toxic, those are all legitimate questions. Um, that you should ask, and you should think about what your goal is for pesticide treatment. so that if you're treating for ants, you you just treat for ants. If you're just treating your trees, you just treat your trees. you know you limit the exposure to the environment and to the and limit the areas that your pet can come into contact with it. Specifically, if you know if you're having someone come over to your house uh, to to treat the area for pet for pests, then you, you of course want to remove the pets from the area. All of their toys, beds, chew I mean, bones, food bowls, all of those should be removed. Um, always remember to cover any, any aquaria that fish might be in so that any vapors or residues don't end up in the water there. Um, I would make sure uh, that, you, uh, that you know how long they have to be off of the area. Obviously, as you, as you mentioned, you want to keep the uh, pets away from any areas until it's completely dried. Um, but you also want to know how long, even after that, you might be able, they might be able to have contact. You know, treating a lawn, for instance, with a herbicide or with a pesticide may have uh, a longer duration of risk than treating the tile in your kitchen, for instance, because of the different products that are used, different rates of degradation. You know, if you know what product is being used, you can know whether sunlight or whether water has an effect on the degradation. But you should ask those, and I think you're, you should expect your, your pest control provider to be able to provide that information. Yeah, um, d- go ahead. There's another thing that I think you want to keep track of. If you're applying a spray, then you have one potential impact. But if you're using a pesticide that's provided in a bait or something that the pest is intended to eat, then the level of risk to your pets is completely different. And in fact, toxicities are probably much more likely in cases where you know where herbicides are more likely insecticides or rodenticides or snail baits are provided in forms that animals eat, meaning that your dog or cat might be tempted to eat them as well.
1: Now do dogs and cats like to lick these products or is it just incidental contact that's really the concern here?
4: I think, that, again, it depends on which agent you're using, and it depends on where it's being applied. Uh, I think that there aren't very many dogs or cats that would lick a surface after it's been sprayed, but there are a few, and you need to know your dog and yeah. you need to make sure that if they're intended to do that. Yeah. They don't, just because that's an, an increase in exposure that you can avoid. Um, but once it's dried, the, the chance that the residue... Impacting them, in other words, getting on their feet and, and licking them and in fact affecting them to a level that's toxic is extremely small. Uh, I think that when it's wet, there's a greater chance of absorption of the toxin, which may have a higher likelihood of reaching a level of toxicity. But once it's applied and dried, there's very little risk of exposure with the exception of, of anything that's applied to the lawn that may have a long degradation process where pets may be rolling around in the grass and having extended exposures over a long period of time that might increase their level of risk.
1: And what are the signs of toxicity?
4: Depends on the toxin involved. You know, if you're talking about an organophosphate, which is more likely something that's used as a spray or a pyrethrin, it it could be neurologic. It could be gastrointestinal, meaning, you know, drooling or vomiting or diarrhea. It depends largely on what's being used, and that's another good reason um, to ask what's being used so you know what to expect. But some of these toxins that are used as roteticides actually cause internal bleeding. Some of them cause swelling in the brain, and this is of both the intended victim and an unintended victim like a dog or a cat. Uh, And uh, the, the most common side effect... Of something like snail bait is probably seizures.
1: Wow, and what's the treatment for toxicity?
4: It depends again on what you're using. Um, It's really important if your pet is exposed to a toxin that you know what it is because we have available um, experts through the uh, Animal Poison Control Center that can help us come up with the best way to treat uh, any exposure if we know what it is. So if there's any way that you can provide the veterinarian or poison control specialist with the exact compound, it will go a long way to helping in the success of the treatment.
1: Very good. Dr. Robert Reed, thank you. You're welcome. So obviously, if one suspects their pet has ingested or becomes ill from pesticides, call your veterinarian right away. There is a National Pesticide Information Center, which Dr. Reed was telling me about, that people can call if they have questions related to pesticide use around their home and around their pets. That number is 800-858-7378, 800-858-7378. That's the National Pesticide Information Center. Thanks for tuning in. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. Hi, this is Dr. Lori Kirschner, and I want to thank you for listening to Animals Today. Make sure to visit us on Animalstodayradio.com, where you will see all our previous shows and where you can download them free. That's Animalstodayradio.com, or you can listen on iTunes. Also, make sure to like us on Facebook and join the discussion. Animals Today gets a lot of its support from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. And I hope you'll consider making a donation to help pay for the ongoing broadcast of Animals Today. Each week on Animals Today, we strive to bring you the highest quality, most up-to-date information about all animals how we treat them, and their place in society, while promoting greater respect and kindness towards them. So thanks for your support. That website, again, is aianimals.org. And thanks for listening. Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org.